Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get podcasts. I'm Jamie Floyd, host of All Things Considered at WNYC. You're listening to Politics Brief, a collection of our very best coverage of the 2018 midterm elections. We'll share the sharpest and most timely talk, analysis, and original reporting from shows like The Takeaway, The Brian Lehrer Show, On the Media, and Radio Lab Presents More Perfect, and from the WNYC Newsroom, which is watching key races in New York and New Jersey. Enjoy. Brian Lehrer on WNYC. So the New York primary is over, and it's still Cuomo's MTA. So now what happens with the subways? Remember that one big issue that was front and center in the campaign was transit, and that Cynthia Nixon railed on the incumbent's failure to act to fix the crumbling subway system and didn't let voters forget exactly who was responsible for the MTA. Here's a little of Nixon on the campaign trail. Cuomo's MTA. We've got the worst on-time record now of any major transit system. He has had seven and a half years to avoid this very avoidable crisis in our New York City subway, and he has done next to nothing. But for all the anger over chronic subway delays in the city, it didn't translate to nearly enough votes for her. So what does that win mean for the future of New York City subways? Is there any hope for fixing the system, or are we stalled out anew? And writers, please forgive the delay. We hope to be moving shortly. With us to discuss this are two transit experts, John Raskin, executive director of the Riders Alliance, and Aaron W. Gordon, a transportation reporter formerly with The Village Voice, the now late departed Village Voice, author of the weekly subway newsletter still called Signal Problems, and the writer of a piece in our Gothamist this week titled Cuomo Beat Nixon, So Are the Subways Screwed Forever. Aaron, welcome back. John, welcome to WNYC. Thank you. Thank you. And John, let's start with you. Over the weekend, your group released a report on just how bad subway service is Right now, what did you find? Uh, we found that out of the 23 subway, uh, sorry, the 23 rush hour mornings in August, 22 of them suffered from signal de- malfunctions that led to delays throughout the system. And I think what it demonstrated is that you know a year after the MTA put its short-term subway action plan into place, people are still experiencing delays day to day throughout the subway system, and it demonstrates that there really is no solution that doesn't involve a long-term investment in the quality of the infrastructure. Was there any particular reason? for August having such a high percentage of rush hour delays? I mean, August is probably the quietest month on the subways during rush hour because the most New Yorkers are away, right? Yeah, I think that's right. No, we have no reason to believe that August is atypical. In fact, if you would expect anything to be different about August, it would be an easier commute. That's what August and the summer are typically known for. And in fact, August was, you know, every single morning in August, except for one glorious Thursday, which was August 23rd, um, had subway delays. And every single day, they were due to signal malfunctions. There were some days that also had mechanical problems that also had troubles with the trains, right? Those weren't the only problem, but every single day with delay had signal problems, and it demonstrates the centrality of fixing the signals if we want to fix the subway. Yeah, I remember August 23rd. That was the day I got to work on time. Exactly. Um, But just one more thing on this. 
Does this say that nothing that Cuomo or his appointees, the head of the MTA or uh, Andy Byford, the new head of the subways per se, um, has done as a short-term measure, has had any effect, or are things overall a little bit better and you just looked at a narrow slice, which was morning rush hour delays? You know, I, I don't think we should say that nothing has had any effect. I think that, you know, we have no sense of the alternative of where things were going if they hadn't put in the short-term subway action plan. But I think the core conclusion is that we should be doing all the short-term fixes. We should be looking at everything we can do in the immediate term. But there is no substitute for a long-term solution that involves investment in the infrastructure. And that's the MTA's fast-forward plan that Andy Byford put out. It has the repairs to the signals. It has the new subway cars and trains. All of that is in the plan. The question is whether the money will be there to make the plan possible. So, Aaron, your article on Gothamist is Cuomo beat Nixon, so are the subways screwed forever. Um, to what degree does the primary win for Cuomo just give him permission to further stall on the subway? So I think it depends on what Andrew Cuomo takes away from his primary win. And obviously at this current at this current juncture, not that many people know what Andrew Cuomo is thinking on the issue. Um, but most of the people I talked to for the article were not were not pessimistic. They were actually slightly optimistic um, after the primaries in terms of what it means for the subway. And it mostly didn't come from what happened in the gubernatorial race, but more from what happened in the state Senate with so many IDC members getting uh, beaten and with a generally more progressive outlook to the state Senate going forward. At least that's what it looks like it's going to be. In other words, you spoke to several transit advocates for your Gothamist piece who said they actually think it's more important for the subways that the legislature change hands. I guess that means that Democrats potentially win control of the state Senate in uh, November rather than whether um, Governor Cuomo stays or not. Right. So the the main criticism of Governor Cuomo um, since the subway uh, crisis began was that he, he basically wasn't willing to expend any political capital to make congestion pricing happen in the state legislature during the last budget season or pursue any kind of long-term funding plans. Uh, that would otherwise help the subway. And we have to remember that uh, the Andy Byford plan that John referred to, that came out in May after the state budget had already been passed. So there hasn't been an opportunity to fund that plan directly. When the budget was getting passed last uh, winter, I guess it was, and into the early spring, uh, there was no plan for what would happen with that money. And obviously, uh, the MTA is very wasteful on major projects. And so a lot of people are rightly concerned about what that money would actually be going towards. So now that we have the Byford plan, there's an answer to that question. So I think a lot of people are looking forward to this budgetary season as the first time that there's a comprehensive picture. And so what Andrew Cuomo will do then is the, is the question. And listeners, how much was transit on your mind? when you voted in the primary last week. Obviously, there are many issues under the sun. How much was a transit for you one way or the other? And how much is it going to make a difference for you in the general election in November if you feel you can't trust Cuomo or the current legislature to fund fixes to the MTA? Where will you cast your ballot? We want to hear from you. 212-433-WNYC. 212 Nine six nine two. So John Raskin, executive director of the Writers Alliance, Aaron just talked about interviewing several writers advocates um, who have their eye on the state Senate is more important than what happens in the gubernatorial election now. 
your subway rider's advocate. Is that the case for you? I think both are important. I think that the way Albany works realistically, you know, these past few years, and if it's a future Cuomo administration as well, the governor is in a very strong position. And it's why we've called on the governor so strongly to lead is that if the governor is willing to expend political cap and capital, he can often get what he needs from the legislature. That said, the legislature has a role to play. You know, it's the legislature's job to be constructive, to not use uh, needing to fix the subway as leverage to try to get something else, but instead to tackle the problem head on. And from our perspective, what the legislature should do is to enact congestion pricing, which we think is a fair and sustainable way to raise the billions of dollars that we'll need to fix the transit system. Well, Cuomo's for congestion pricing. Mayor de Blasio resists. De Blasio is for an increase on the state income tax on incomes over a million dollars. Um, and uh, the governor resists. Why wouldn't you as a writer's advocate call for both? We actually have. You, you do? Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We stood with the mayor to uh, endorse the millionaire's tax proposal, and then we uh, support the governor when he endorses congestion pricing. And I think the question is just what the governor thinks he can get passed, and that's a decision for the governor to make. Um, you know, we're, we're agnostic as long as it fulfills the core values of being fair and sustainable. Both those ideas do, but I think congestion pricing is the one on the table. One thing that came out of the mayor proposing the millionaire's tax is it became clear that the city doesn't have the legal authority to raise the money we'll need to fix the subway. Right? The mayor had a whole plan he wanted to enact. And the, the first fact that came out of that was he can't do it without approval in Albany. And right. that's why all the eyes are on the governor and members of the legislature. Which reminds me that I may have misspoken a minute ago when I said de Blasio wants to slightly raise the tax, the state income tax. It's really the city income tax, I believe, that he wants to raise. But he can't even raise exactly. the city income tax unless a majority of state legislators from, you know, Syracuse and the Adirondacks and Onondaga County and everywhere else that people in Brooklyn never heard of uh, pass on it. Yeah, the city really has its hands tied when it comes to raising new revenue. You know, people look to the MTA. The MTA can't raise its own revenue without raising fares. That's really the only uh, the only route available to the MTA. And that's why, through process of elimination, we look to the state. And it's the governor who not only controls the MTA, but dominates the legislative and budget process that can produce a funding stream to fix it. You're listening to the Politics Brief Podcast. We'll be back after a quick break. Carnegie Hall is one of the most famous concert venues in the world. The first time I walked on the stage, I felt like my feet were moving, but they were not touching the floor. Join us for If This Hall Could Talk, a new podcast that explores the history of this iconic landmark through the unique items in its archives. I'm your host, Jessica Vosk, and together we'll explore how the past shaped the culture we live in today. Listen to If This Hall Could Talk wherever you get podcasts. John in Manhattan. You're on WNYC. Hi, John. Hi, Brian. Uh, so thanks for taking my call. I sure. uh, love your show. Thank you. Um, so I, I read an article a year or so ago on Vox.com, mm -hmm. and the journalist did a lot of interviews with a lot of MTA um, conductors and workers and different people, and he traced the whole history of the slowdown of the trains to an accident that happened on the tracks in the 1990s. And since then, they've instituted all kinds of policies and procedures to slow down the trains well below the safe speed limit. So ideally, if the speed limit's 30, you want to go 29. But, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm painting in broad strokes here from the article, but they're all going 20. And it has to do with a whole host of things from the speedometers or whatever kind of speed indicators they have on the trains to the, the way that the 
the system reports the speed. And then this, this journalist also said that, I can't remember the name, I apologize, but the jur- you can look it up on Vox.com, mm-hmm. the real reason why the trains run slow. Mm-hmm. And basically the gist of it was, this is a matter of bureaucratic um, cirrhosis that has caused a whole set of policies to overdo the safety and, and, the, and to go too far, to slow the trains down too far. And it's not the signaling system, although, yes, you should fix signaling. Yes, you should yes. do all, uh, you know, fund it. Yes, you should make all these improvements and make it accessible and do all these things. But the real reason the trains are late, when you parse through and talk to people about how they actually report delays and how that gets reported back and how that bubbles up, the real it's problem is we di- have an over-safety. We have, we've erred too got far it. on the side of safety. Got, John, I, I got it, and I'm going to leave it there for time. Thank you very, very much for chiming in with that. But, John, is that your understanding? Uh, does that conform to your understanding as a writer's advocate of what's really going on here? I think it's a factor. Um, I think there is excellent work done on this, actually, by Aaron, who's with us today, who's the journalist who looked through um, and had access to old MTA uh, MTA documents in a study that showed that that was the case, um, which I think really did change the conversation around why trains are slower um, than they used to be. But I also think that even in that piece, even Aaron, who can speak um, to his own work on it, didn't say that the solution lies in just speeding up the trains, right? That can be a factor, and there are other factors that the MTA needs to improve operationally as well. Um, but that is, you know, even overcompensating, even be, being extra careful about the safety, is rooted in having a signal system that was technology from the 1930s and having train cars from the 1960s. And even with the best, you know, the best balance between safety and efficiency that we could possibly put into place, you can't really run a 21st century global capital financial center successful prosperous city on a, you know, a subway system from 1900 and using signal technology from the 1930s. Gail in Manhattan, you're on WNYC. Hi, Gail. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I, um, I read, first of all, I definitely thought about the MTA when I voted for Cynthia Nixon, just to say, mm-hmm. on the record. Um, it certainly was a concern of mine, even though I'm one of the very lucky New Yorkers who walked to work. Seven minutes. So I feel really, really fortunate. But I'm so aware of the, I don't know, decline. I've been living in New York for 35 years, and the decline in the last five, six, ten years in the subway system is really, I don't know, almost demoralizing. I will say that when I read the article in The New Yorker about Byford, I thought, gee, if I didn't have a job, I'd go to work for him for free. But I was really disturbed to learn that, and I I don't know if it's true, maybe your guests can um, verify it, that... Both the governor and the mayor had poached money from funds that were allocated to the MTA. Aaron, are, are you familiar with that allegation as it pertains to the mayor? With the governor, I think it's been pretty well documented that he moved money from what would have been general maintenance of the subways and general uh, replacement of subway cars as they got too old at the originally designated rate, moved some of that money into things like cashless tolling, putting those you know mechanisms on on the roads, uh, and um, the, the uh, uh, improvement of some subway stations cosmetically and some other things. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of focus, and rightly so, on the current governor and mayor's role, respectively, mostly the governor in the current subway crisis. But especially when it comes to diverting MTA funds, I think it's important to take a more historical view because this is something that mayors and governors have been doing for several administrations to the point where it became rote policy to essentially do it, Um, especially, I would say, starting roughly with Mayor Giuliani because uh, in the mid-1990s was about when the subway started to 
I, I don't want to say fully recover, but it was no longer the subway of the 1980s. And it was perceived that the subway was running well and that it didn't need all the money that it was, you know, it, it could be a piggy bank of sorts. So um, I've, I, I'm familiar. And that, was, and that was Nixon's attack line, right? Cuomo used the MTA as an ATM. Right. And and uh, that's something governors and mayors have been doing for several administrations. Um, I don't know, John, maybe can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't remember anything specifically that de Blasio did. So the city, I think, didn't have to, in a sense, steal money out of dedicated revenue streams to the MTA because the city doesn't have dedicated revenue streams. Uh, you're exactly right that the Times article did say that Mayor Giuliani cut the amount that the city was giving to the MTA. And so the city had been giving less kind of since that time. But really, only the state has the authority to create the payroll mobility tax to do congestion pricing or a millionaire's tax or any of these things. And that creates a dedicated revenue stream. And what they're saying is there have been taxes and laws that the state has created to fund transit, and then sometimes taken some of that money to use for other purposes. It really just uh, demonstrates why everyone is looking to Albany to solve the problem. But does that also give some weight to the governor's argument that Mayor de Blasio needs to cough up more city funds to make a quicker repair process real. Obviously, they're negotiating over, I have to pay this much money. No, you have to pay that much money. But if it goes back to the 90s, where the city actually reduced the amount of money that it contributes to the MTA, and now there are so many more problems than there were in the 90s, that Cuomo is right, in your opinion, as a writer's, uh, writer's advocate, to whatever else is going on, also ask the city to resume a dedicated funding stream? Yeah, and we've actually pushed the city to put more money into the MTA in the past. Um, and, we, and we don't have a dog in this kind of conflict between the governor and the mayor. But I think the reason that we're pushing so hard on the governor, whether it's this governor or the one before or after, but pushing so hard on the governor and pushing so hard on the legislature is because at the scale that you're talking about of what's needed after decades of underinvestment in transit infrastructure, you know, Andy Byford's fast forward plan will cost tens of billions of dollars. And that's not just because of it's, it's inflated or because there's waste or it's because this is expensive because six million people ride the subway every day and another two million ride the bus and our, you know, our entire region with a $1.5 trillion annual economy, you know, depends on the subway system working. And so it is expensive infrastructure. And at the scale that you need to raise, only the state is in a position to make that possible. So before you go, and we have the news coming up, and then Doris Kearns Goodwin is here to be in our studio. Um, Aaron, here's a name that most of our listeners probably haven't heard yet. And that's Mark Molinaro. He's the Republican nominee for governor. So now the Cuomo beat Cynthia Nixon in the Democratic primary. It's Cuomo versus Mark Molinaro in the general election. In your latest Signal Problems newsletter, you describe Molinaro as the gubernatorial candidate with the best MTA platform by a long mile. And I hear all our Democratic listeners going, no, 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 this can't be true. Why do you say that? Well, first of all, it's the tyranny of low bars. Um, I don't think either of the gubernatorial candidates on the Democratic side had a particularly strong MTA case, even though Cynthia Nixon made it a uh, centerpiece of her campaign. She never wrestled with the MTA's uh, astronomical construction costs. Her only solution was to pour tons more money into the system and not make sure that money is spent wisely in any way. She never, I, that I can recall, gave serious lip service to it. Um, but Mark Molinaro, now certainly his plan is problems. I don't want to make it sound like his plan is perfect and we should enact it as is, but it does at least try to wrestle with the various different elements that make the MTA kind of a, the bureaucratic nightmare that it is. He also supports the Bifer plan. He also supports congestion pricing. 
Um, he isn't throwing in any ludicrous ideas into um, his plan. I, I think the polluters tax was something that Nixon never really fully articulated about how it would work or how much money it would raise. Um, so I think it's at least uh, uh, it's about a 30 page plan. And while there are things in there that, you know, you can challenge and certainly have strong debates about, there's nothing in there that struck me as absurd or not worth considering. John, do you want to weigh in on that as a last word before you go? Have you looked at the Molinaro plan? And is there anything for you as a writer's advocate that you would at least say, look, if Cynthia Nixon wound up pushing Cuomo to the left on some issues because he was afraid politically of the repercussions if he didn't act, that there might be something with respect to transit uh, where a dynamic like that might you know, exists with Molinaro? Yeah, I'd say two things. I mean, first of all, I think it's interesting that Governor Cuomo is pushed from both the left and the right on congestion pricing. Right? It was at the centerpiece of Cynthia Nixon's funding plan for the MTA. But it also, you know, as Aaron's talking about, it also appears in Mark Molinaro's Republican strategy for fixing the MTA. And so it, he certainly would not support a millionaire's tax hike. I presume Republicans I, don't I'm do confident that, right? that's true. I, <laughs> I, I don't think it made it into the plan. Um, but I but I think at the end of the day, you know, Governor Cuomo didn't support congestion pricing years ago and when he was last running. And he said that I don't think the politics of that have changed. Now, the politics of that have changed now that the subway has melted down and folks are looking for a solution. But I think what that means is that what's in anybody's plan is a little bit less important than who's going to demonstrate the leadership of prioritizing the issue, demanding a solution, and then bring the legislature along. All right. And in this campaign season, we will drill down more on Mark Molinaro's plan. Among other things, as we go forward, we thank John Raskin, executive director of the Writers Alliance, and transit reporter Aaron W. Gordon, author of the weekly subway newsletter Signal Problems, and author of a piece on Gotham is now called Cuomo Beat Nixon, So Are the Subways Screwed Forever. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. If you want more, go to wnyc.org slash election.